0: Here. Captain! Yes. Signatures detected! Shield up! Yes. Signatures detected! Context Salfeet Command.
1: What's C- context South Eat
2: Command. Delay that order! Context South Command! This is the captain! A- context
0: Salfeat Command!
1: Get out of my chair! Chair, 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 chair! We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the Greatest Discovery, it's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison.
0: I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs>
1: What's that face? I was just doing my face stretch. I told you about this. Everybody watching the stream at home. <laughs> just saw Adam make a smell like he uh he smelled some stanky cheese or something.
0: I'm just trying to make sure people hear me smile.
1: <laughs> You're doing face yoga? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. I want to have those developed face muscles by the time I hit 50.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that guy's uh, let himself go in a lot of places, but have you seen how flexible his face is? (laughs) He is
0: sagging everywhere below the neck.
1: (laughs) Do you think that there are any, like, muscle and fitness type magazines for people that exclusively work out the muscles in their face?
0: I bet. I mean, there was that actor in uh, DS9 we saw a few times, Face Muscle Guy, a veteran actor from from The X-Files. Right. is how I remember him. But yeah, you know, that guy was putting his face in the, like, eagle's claw machine (laughs) somehow. (laughs) You've
1: made me look foolish. There's that guy in, oh, what's the Kurt Russell Sylvester Stallone movie? Why am I blanking on that?
0: Oh, uh, you're talking, of course, of Tango and Cash. (laughs) There you go.
1: Cash and Tango, Tango and Cash. One of the big uh, bad guys in that is a real muscly face. Yeah. Was
0: that just a product of the 80s and 90s? You don't see too many muscle faces anymore. Yeah, it's too bad. What you see is like the the work done on face. Nowadays, you like to have a face that looks like you work out <laughs> is, uh, is not something you want. You want it more
1: subtle. Just once I'd like to check into a hotel while we're out on tour and see a strange sign about don't put your face on any of the un saran wrapped upholstery. Remember, your face is painted. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. You're referring to our Pittsburgh hotel experience, right?
1: Yeah. We did a show in Pittsburgh years ago and the hotel that we didn't know this when we booked the hotel, but when we checked into the hotel, we discovered that a bodybuilding competition was being held there. So they'd put like sheets of plastic up, you know three quarters of the way up the walls and the hallways and everything because people were so covered in uh, in spray tan that they would uh, they would stain the hotel if the hotel didn't take extraordinary measures and I want to see that but for faces <laughs> we were so lucky to get that
0: draw of hotels I I booked the travel for greatest general when we do tours and I just finished all of the legs for our upcoming tour. But the reason I say that is like, I don't cross-reference what's happening in the cities we're going to with the hotels we're staying in, in a way that I really could for comedy.
1: Yeah, yeah. You should you should be thinking about this. This is like um, years ago when I was in film school, I was working on my thesis film, and we found an office in Manhattan that, you know, like somebody's like, I don't know, some business office somewhere that... That uh, we were going to shoot a couple of scenes in mm-hmm. and we were shooting on a, I think it was a Sunday. And what we failed to realize was that the windows in this office overlooked whatever avenue, the <laughs> clown convention. <laughs> no, it was like the, uh, I think it was the New York parade. Oh, wow. And so like the, the music, the fanfare, the <laughs> amplified everything just like raging uh, like, you know, 20 stories down, but right outside <laughs> really made it tough to get clean sound on that shoot. It's hard to
0: account for everything when it comes to pre-production, either, yeah. either for video or like, I mean, there are some venues we've done live shows where we're like sharing a wall with a rock band. And right. <laughs> guess what? Star Trek podcast does not win against rock band in the yeah. same building. We can't possibly turn ourselves up loud enough to win that competition.
1: And if we and our listeners went and tried to like bring the fight to the rock band and their listeners, we know who would win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rock beats paper every time. <laughs> <laughs> in that
1: scenario it sure does uh, well adam there's a there is some really serious nerdery afoot in today's episode of star trek discovery do you want to get into this episode and talk about these nerds on this ship we're almost to the end of star trek discovery season four we sure are
0: today it's going to be episode 12 it's called species 10c
1: I love the scale of the hyperfield that is established in the opening shot of this episode. The the ship flying toward it until you can't see the ship anymore.
0: Yeah, I do like its detail, too. It reminds me a lot of Stargate, in a way. Indeed. It looks like it's carved.
1: Yeah, I was kind of picturing, based on the pre-visualizations that they came up with back at Starfleet Command, that we were going to see something that looked more like an energy field, but this looks like an artifact. It looks... Solid. I would just love it if
0: the 10C were the people who built the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> this is that kind of science fiction show.
1: <laughs> this is the point of continuity between Star Trek and the Stargate universe. Yeah. We didn't realize that they were all taking place in the same universe, but they are.
0: Bring it on. Yeah. Colonel.
1: Yeah. Colonel. Yeah.
2: We are being hailed. Open the iris. Please. We are being hailed.
0: Code 3 alert it's SG1. Yeah. It's sg S G1. You are incorrect.
2: It's SG1. Colonel
0: Jack or SG1. Silence! Silent!
2: Silent! 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 Silent!
1: I have to go ahead and say categorically do not bring that on. (laughs) I do not want to eventually have to review Stargate (laughs) SG-1. Oh, no. I definitely don't want any of that, but that was a fun movie. Yeah, the movie was fun. Listen, nothing against Stargate SG-1 either. I just don't want to have to review it for our shows.
0: I've got something against it. We don't have to review anything we don't want to, either. Oh, that's cool. Remember that this is our show, Ben. Oh, shit.
1: You're right. Yeah. So, there's sort of Knocking on the door here and not getting any answer. They're, you know, they're trying to hail this huge wall in in space and get nothing back. And Burnham says to President Rillick, all right, I think it's implement the contingency plan time. And Rillick reacts very badly, and I was like, oh, fuck, is contingency plan just, like, go to war? Is that, <laughs> is, is that all we are going to try before we start uh, pursuing the Tarka angle? Yeah, yikes. <laughs> I was I was really worried. Hell of a time to cut away. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
0: but we do. We got to head into this McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Culber leads the meeting about the 16 powders they got From the Ten Seas Old Planet.
1: Every single one of them, a different shade.
0: Culber's tried every one of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can't keep him away from the stuff. Culber made a rainbow rail all the way down the edge of the table (laughs) and just ran along it snorting. (laughs) I definitely feel like... Uh, peacefulness
0: is is the one we should use because they correspond to a bunch of different emotions is the idea
1: if he feels like anything he feels like everything
0: it's hard to know which one of these powders would prepare the scorpion for going down onto the street in predator 2 (laughs) well yeah what would get him ready Hard to know. I mean, he just had the white colored powder on his shoulder, but maybe one of these would have helped.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. (laughs) Yeah, Culber does point at the white one and he says, the emotion that this one uh, makes you feel is different ideas for businesses. (laughs) I love Culver's
0: like, like, look, I'm a scientist, so we need to use all these variable powders up against the control powder that we definitely know what it does, and uh, that's this powder here, which right now is in kind of a brick I'm just going to slice open with a box knife.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to punch the knife right through the middle of the brick as though that's not going to be wildly irritating for transporting it later. Like, I'm not going to peel the tape at all. Not, not going to make any effort to make it easy to seal this back up.
0: The plan I'm proposing is to load up these dots, or mules, as we could call them, with a bunch of these powders, and then send
1: them over there
0: to kind of spray paint the wall.
1: I've prepared these dot suppositories <laughs> so that the they don't get asked a lot of questions if the 10C <laughs> open the gate.
0: General Indoye is naturally reluctant to go along with this plan. Is taking on that level of risk really prudent? It involves getting the ship a lot closer than she's comfortable with.
1: But, like, what the fuck is Indoye's alternative at this point? Like, what's the alternative to trying something, Indoye? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're super eager for the fray but also you don't want to like tiptoe up to the door and knock a little harder yeah she is
0: uh she's not a generous improviser <laughs> when there are ideas out on the
1: table you know she got kicked out of ucb 101 and uh right <laughs> but i mean we need somebody there to to speak you know against this and it's not going to be dr arai he's got his mouth full i love how
0: food as pacifier for him is the move <laughs> yeah to avoid saying the
1: wrong thing like he just shoves a <laughs> bunch of grapes in his mouth he's very much the brad pitt of star trek discovery at this point yeah
0: so stamets and adira have filled up a bunch of condoms with these powders and shoved them into the dots.
1: yeah he's got like a caulking gun full of powder <laughs>
0: You know what's great? I make a reference very superficially, like not really knowing anything about what I'm talking about. And you take it in a direction so detailed that you have to know exactly what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I've trafficked nose drugs. Come on. I'm out there making fat stacks, man. Chill. Who hasn't, Adam? You've lived such a sheltered existence. I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so as they're doing this, Zora is like, Hey, so been feeling a little strange, not really sure what it's about, but you know how I get these feelings from time to time. Any, any chance you guys could help? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Once we're done, uh, knocking on the hyperfield, we will for sure give some attention to that.
0: I mean, one thing that people tend to rely on for computers is specific answers to things. <laughs> So it's really great when Zora pops up just saying she feels a way about something non specific
1: i mean this is this is the Zora equivalent of an error message that just says something went wrong and then you've got the choices between okay and cancel and you're like, "What the fuck is this Yeah I like the camera move that we get at
0: the end of this scene as a reminder that Book ship is attached to the exterior of the disco and we see that jet Reno is still imprisoned there,
1: yeah. Jet Reno, not a happy camper. Jet Reno also just kind of using this time to observe what Book and Tarka are up to and observe where the fractures are in their relationship right now. Book is talking about how the 10C clearly come from a planet that was destroyed. So they know the pain of seeing that many dead birds. How could they be doing this to the rest of the galaxy?
0: Chet Reno's career up until now has been like super quippy and droll. Yeah. I think a person who does not like her character or the show would say that she's kind of one note. <laughs> you mean going over her
1: quipulum vitae? They would see that?
0: Yeah, but I think Tig really does a good job in this episode. She gets a lot of nonverbal acting to do. I think giving her more opportunities to do that has made her better on the show.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's some subterfuge that is going on. She has a little device secreted up her sleeve. And she's also just doing like really nice face acting, watching everything that's going on. Book gives her a stick of licorice, which is not the first choice I would have if I was hungry in jail.
0: Hey, let me ask you this question. Do you like licorice?
1: Yeah, I definitely want some proteins. You know? <laughs> yeah. Something that sticks to your ribs. Yeah. I mean, licorice is good, but it's not going to tide you over. One stick, Jet. Come on.
0: It only means she's going to be asking repeatedly for this licorice, and that is actually part of her plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Book is uh, not in a mindset to be asking too many questions. Neither are the dots who
0: are made to launch and head toward the hyperfield surface. The dot death count. This season has been pretty high and so like i I feel like as a viewer we've been trained to expect the worst here
1: yeah dots tend to signify that they're doomed
0: dots signify the coming of death more than saru's Mm -hmm.
1: absent ganglia either the coming of death or the cleaning of cum
0: right yeah so they start tagging the surface of this thing and it's been impregnated with like anti spray paint defense like none right. of it sticks.
1: Yeah. It's that scene in uh, in Demolition Man where the everything is, is spray paint proof, right? But then something starts happening on the surface. It starts rippling like water, and suddenly the discovery is like treating this like it was a ding dong ditch the entire time. They're like Shields, let's get out of here. Ah, they're coming out. We knocked, and they and they said, "Who's there?"
0: <laughs> I had some nostalgic feelings for the abyss effect here. That was nice.
1: Yeah. A couple of Abyss tentacles come out. The first one grabs all the dots, and then the second one goes for the ship. A third one pulls us into the theme. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>
0: After the theme, we're back on Discovery, trying to figure out where we were. And I was wondering if they had thought about going with Book and Tarka's POV instead of Disco as like along for the ride and how much more scary it must have been for them than even it was for the Disco.
1: Oh, shit. Maybe we shouldn't have attached ourselves to these idiots. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like immediate regret. (laughs) No.
1: it is the disco crew that we stay with here and we stay like we get a lot of bridge crew stuff this episode still pretty like incidental mm-hmm. in every scene but like we we are with them a lot of the time like they all get a lot of screen time mm-hmm. and they are describing that the ship is inside a bubble which has been drawn into the hyperfield and inside the hyperfield is a star system with three identical gas giant planets orbiting a star and their bubble is being drawn toward one of the planets.
0: The script gives the folksy colloquialism to Lieutenant Promhair and not Detmer here, and I was just blown away by this.
1: Like a bug in a jar.
0: <laughs> you know, Detmer as the helmsperson, uh, is maybe most able to dodge that kind of danger. And sure enough she steps out of the way and it hits Lieutenant Promhair square in the dialogue
1: box. You think that Detmer is like a little cheesed off by this? Like, hey, that's kind of, that's my swag, you know? Like, come up with a different thing.
0: I don't think anyone should be saying this dialogue, so <laughs> I'm hoping that it's moving toward the back of the bridge and eventually is just going to miss everyone entirely and and go to the back of the ship.
1: Anybody behind Lieutenant Promhair doesn't <laughs> ever have a speaking line, right? That's true. Yeah. So I think we'll be
0: safe after this.
1: Yeah. So and Doye explaining what's going on to Book and Tarka, who uh, we finally get their deal as they're uh, trying to wrap their minds around what has happened to them. Jet watches Tarka put something up on a computer screen here that both she and he can see is bad. It's like not a computer screen that you or I can decipher. But from the look on Tarka's face and the look on Jet's face, we know that Tarka has done some math that is at least momentarily disturbing to him.
0: I mean, there are a lot of things you shouldn't do in front of a hostage, right? You shouldn't fight, that part's obvious, but you all shouldn't do your engineering in front of them either, right? It's too much information to share.
1: Yeah, it's like the flowchart of his evil scheme, and he's got it right up there on the screen. Yeah.
0: The Tarka-Book tension has to do with the order of operations, because Tarka is thinking that the power source problem is top of list, and Book is like, Cool. So if you do the power source problem before solving for how we get the fuck out of here, we're not getting <laughs> out of here. So maybe we should do the escape plan first. It's like planning to rob a bank without establishing where the getaway car is going to end
1: up, you know? Right. Because the engines and things are down on both the disco and bookship. ship. This actually made me wonder if the 10C know that Bookship ship is there. It seems like they might if they're intentionally disabling its engine.
0: For how long have you thought that this is just a straight-up suicide mission by Tarka? Because this might be the point where that crystallized entirely for me. If he's not thinking about ways to escape and all he's thinking about are ways to destroy... Then that's got to be what this is. I don't believe that he wants to get back to his prison boyfriend. I think he just wants to kill.
1: Wow. I feel like he's just thinking on rails at this point. Like he's single-minded in a way that like new information is not knocking him out of out of his groove. Hmm. The thing he sees on the screen being maybe one example of that, but also the the argument book making The points he's making are super well taken, but Tarka is so fixated. It's almost pathological at this point. Right. In addition to all of his other pathologies.
0: There's a lot going on there.
1: Back in the corner, Jet Reno, what she's got is a communicator badge, and she's trying to power it up using licorice as a battery. That's not going to work. Isn't it? Come on. (laughs)
0: makes sense to me (laughs) one thing you do before you uh you pick up a hostage is you definitely don't want to check them for anything that they've squirreled away yeah any weapons or communications devices tarka thought that was book's job book thought that was tarka's (laughs) job
1: tarka is a genius but he is so single-minded about his work he cares about literally nothing else maybe it was like in two pieces and so he didn't detect it on a scan or something I mean, at this point, we don't really know what this device is other than it's something that Jet's constructed, right? It shows the tricorder thing of a communicator badge but it's like blinking in and out when she gets the licorice inside of it so
0: all right you had this thing clocked way earlier than me then
1: yeah i mean it's like i think it's like the back of the badge or something i'm not sure
0: i thought it was a thing to make black licorice taste good and that's just (laughs) something that jet reno always has on her person
1: you don't need a device for that adam you just have to turn 37 years old
2: (laughs) (laughs) cool (laughs)
0: Back on the bridge of the disco, the orb they're in has stopped moving. Yeah. And what they realized is that uh, they've been taken into the atmosphere of one of these gas giant planets. And what they've been able to detect is that hundreds of life signs are surrounding them, and they're being scanned by all of them. It's kind of a trip.
1: Scanned millimetrically.
0: It's not as scary as it could be, though, because like their weapons and their shields and their engines are still powered down but like there's no need for those things at the moment it's just a a mysterious threat and not a a direct threat
1: totally so it's time for a mclaughlin group issue two to talk about first contact but first we got to cut down to stamets and culber working on zora and culber pitching the idea of doing that game again that they did The other time Zora was feeling weird. Hey, Ben, how much do you like the tension from the scene before just being fucking
0: kneecapped (laughs) by this scene? Because in every Star Trek series, an engineer is a fucking requirement for a mysterious situation like they're experiencing. And where is our engineer right now working with Culber on the Zora's feelings problem? An odd request given the circumstances.
1: Zora feeling weird can be (laughs) treated as an emergency, right? But it's not an existential
0: emergency like the one that they're experiencing up on the bridge.
1: Don't you think the dialogue fix there could be just, Stam, it's flagging it for the captain's awareness, like the self-aware supercomputer that runs our ship is starting to suspect something else is wrong also? I
2: think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal?
1: Maybe,
0: but no one anywhere on the ship thinks to link these two problems as, as compatible in any way, either dramatically or in any other sense. If Burnham knew about this, our cuts back and forth between these problems would link them in a way that does relate them. Yeah. But as these sequences flow from here they're unrelated entirely and that doesn't make any sense to me
1: i think that siloing the a story and the b story is a little frustrating in this episode
0: we gotta mix our story grains
1: (laughs) we gotta mix our story powders (laughs)
0: yes
1: (laughs) the other thing that happens in this scene is that uh Stamitz checks in with Culber about, hey, you seem to really like those, uh, those powders quite a bit. What's that about? And Culber saying like, well, the powders are helping me feel feelings that I haven't felt in a long time. And Stamitz is like, well, listen, after this, you and me, just the two of us going on a vacation to Earth, West Coast, North America, Oregon, specifically.
0: Fine. We'll, we'll make time to do it more often. Jeez. Stamets is not concerned about Culber's preoccupation with chasing the peace dragon (laughs) at all. Definitely, like, just pivoting into what we need as a vacation vibe. I mean, if they're lucky enough to survive, the bubble they're currently inside that Stamets could be helping to fix.
1: The McLaughlin group uh, hits on the idea of maybe, you know, like, we haven't heard anything since we've been inside this bubble, so maybe the thing to do is offer a gift and... What do we know the 10C like? They like boronite. We'll send them some of that. Someone
0: at the meeting proposes uh, sending the fruit and cheese plate over. And Dr. Harai's like, fuck that. (laughs) This is mine. I'm actually working here on this. Get your own. And if they want some, they can get their own. (laughs) Teachers like Trina are why students like Saru don't like to raise their hands in class.
1: Anything you can do to discourage Saru from raising his hand is good in my book. (laughs)
0: I, I definitely agree, but everyone gets to speculate except for Saru here, who gets his nuts fucking smashed <laughs> in for being first. It is not fruit and cheese plate that, that ends up being the gift. Uh, Boronite bouquet is the proposition
1: on the table. They beam it right over. We cut down to Book's ship where Reno has kind of got uh, a little moment with Book. She is kind of calling him on the bullshit that we have been wishing somebody would call him on. The entire season, like, why are you hanging out with Tarka? He is clearly completely unhinged and, you know, not acting in good faith. And he's going to fucking do bad shit here. We get to hear the Cleveland Booker story. He got the name from a, it's his brand, really.
0: What it says on his business card is his real name and then DVA, Cleveland <laughs> right. Booker. Because how it goes is like when you do the business that he's involved in, you build up a book of business and all your accounts. And then when you get ready to retire, you just pass those books on to your protégé. And this Cleveland booker in the room here is the fifth in the line.
1: And it's uh, his way of saying, basically, once I've said I'm going to do something, I see it through. Because it's not
0: just his reputation. It's four other people's (laughs) that he's banking on.
1: And she responds with her backstory for the Hiawatha, which is really rough. Like when the Hiawatha crashed and she was trying to keep those people alive... She was specifically working on this one guy and the implication of what she says is basically this guy suffered a lot longer than he needed to because she was trying so hard to keep him alive because something about him reminded her of her wife that had passed. His eyes were the same color as hers, exact same green. And this is... A really interesting moment in this episode to me because i feel like this is a thing that disco has tried to do a million times this season and has not been like super successful at it but in this moment i feel like these two characters talking about things that make them tick and explaining who they are to each other actually gets us somewhere The resolution of the scene being that Jet Reno has, like, actually worked the wedge into the gap between Book and Tarka and said, like, you are making bad choices because you are sad and mad about something is like a very successful use of this kind of scene that I feel like has not been the tradition so far on this show.
0: I mean, it also tells us that this is why jet reno is an engineer and not a doctor because yikes <laughs> yeah.
1: i mean we knew that she didn't ever get any bedside manner training
0: <laughs> besides being the inspiration for Jet's story why does cleveland tell
1: jet what he does oh because i feel like he's saying it because it's a rationalization but it's a rationalization for why he is like continuing to do this like i do what i say i'm gonna do could you articulate the rationalization because i'm not sure i could my interpretation was that what he's saying to her is when i say i'm gonna do something i do it because that is like the instinct that i've developed over years of being a courier
0: i want to put out there that the story that book tells should have happened at the very beginning of the season And I think it would have really helped us understand Book's character throughout without giving anything away. Like, it doesn't ruin the mystery of Book to have this kind of backstory to him known. But, like, why now? This should have been season four, episode one, backstory. To help us make sense of his decisions.
1: I think that's actually a nice punch-up. Like, I really like this scene, but I agree that the revelation of the story he tells here could have been more useful earlier in the season.
0: It's obfuscation.
1: (laughs) Ankylosaur.
0: What what is that word? Obfuscation. You got it. It's obfuscation for obfuscation's (laughs) sake. It's to do it just to fuck with the viewer. Yeah. And to give us a, a reveal like this.
1: I have really been wondering why his name was Cleveland Booker. <laughs> so I'm glad we finally found out. So Jet's effort to everybody hurts
0: Book kind of looks like a failure when Book turns around and goes back to work. Like I didn't come away from the scene feeling like, She was effective in driving the wedge you're describing. I mean, maybe it's just the beginning of that.
1: Oh, yeah. It's totally just the beginning. But if he didn't want to put up with any more of her bullshit, he could have blown her out in airlock or something, you know. The fact that he is entertaining anything she says to him means that he is starting to sway in this moment. Right. Back in the McLaughlin group.
2: Let's take a closer look at issue two.
1: They're waiting for a response from the 10C after beaming some boronite over and, uh, boy, and, and Doyer harangues Captain Burnham about, like, you know, you need to recognize when you've hit a wall. And this felt like a Lower Decks moment, the amount to which Endoye gets the rug pulled out from under her. Like, she makes this suggestion to Burnham. Burnham claps back and is like, I know when we've hit a wall and we haven't hit a fucking wall yet, Ndoye. I used to think there wasn't a wall.
2: This captain, my experience has taught me otherwise. In general, we haven't hit it yet.
1: And then, like, <laughs> Zora is like, hey, so uh, the 10 are responding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Indoye as a character is fairly thankless throughout this episode and Indoye is permanently single, right? <laughs> no one can be like this <laughs> and have a long-term relationship because she's like, Cool, we gave the Boronet Piquet to them and nothing happened immediately, so I guess we're
1: breaking <laughs> up. <laughs> Zora says, uh, so the the 10C are responding, and they uh, seem to be indicating that they want to hit it from the back. So, So why don't you guys head down to the shuttle bay and and meet up with them there? Why do they do this
0: on foot, by the way? When they choose
1: to flash beam and when they
0: don't is totally inscrutable to me because this would appear to be an urgent situation that you want to get down to the shuttle bay for as soon as possible. But they hoof it. I took the long way.
1: I wondered if there's a flash beam like just inside of these two cuts. Like if it cuts away, they hit their communicator's flash beam and then it cuts (laughs) to (laughs) like, is it that or did they walk down?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm so
1: preoccupied with things like that, though. I just feel like we're like so new to those rules and maybe the the showrunners are too, that it's hard to keep track of like what's what. But a a 10C comes out of the mist and starts blowing vape clouds at them. And Adam, you were right. They look like the uh, jellyfish guys. How about that? We've already seen a 10C in shadow.
0: But super misted up. Like you could barely see its outline here.
1: You can see it a lot clearer on Dr. Harai's tricorder, which has like a 3D rendering of it. Yeah. We get a hologram of the molecule that it's sent over, and it's a bunch of different powders mixed together. And then it starts flashing lights at them. They realize that this is communication. This is an attempt at communication. We're going to send back the lights just to say, like, message received. We're going to start crunching numbers and andoye is being a fucking diaper baby again
0: (laughs) sounds like the start of a frighteningly long process
1: (laughs) she has been are we
0: there yet in the entire episode
1: (laughs) we got the message we gotta decipher it oh it sounds like it will take five minutes fuck this fire the missiles (laughs)
0: This scene proves me right because it was never Dr. Harai's fault that she was put off by things earlier. Yeah. Redemption for Dr. Harai is what I'm saying. Yeah. This is all General Indoye. This is not his doing.
1: Free Dr. Harai. Shisui, <laughs> Dr. Harai. Yeah. Dr. Harai was correct. She fucking walks out. Yeah, nobody's like, well, where are you going, General Indoye? <laughs> you got a BioBreak or... You're going to, like, secretly communicate with bad guys.
0: You really like generals acting like this. (laughs) Makes you feel good and safe. Stamping out in a huff. (laughs) Yeah. She's on her way to blow a call back to Book and update them on the situation. They're going to need her to do their plan. And what's good about this plan is that no one on the Discovery changed the authorization codes that Book is going to give her in order to release a bunch of this plasma Yeah. For them. Hmm. Books codes still work. (laughs) And Doye like rightfully kind of pushes back on this idea. Like communicating is one thing, but like entering codes and releasing plasma gas, kind of another. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a line crosser
1: to some people. Seems really bad.
0: It's a good thing no one's looking for her
1: in a heightened situation. Nobody is asking if she's doing okay in the bathroom. It seems like she's taking a really long time. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was factor meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming?
0: Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts and this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of play-doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop it's wrinkly it's wriggly nothing stays in place and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident that's why i'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at manscaped they sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 ultra it's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning
2: stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast secretly incredibly fascinating find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at maximumfun.org
0: back in the shuttle bay they're flashing the lights back toward the 10c like a
1: kind of mimicry right they waved at us, let's wave back. And that's when the 10C uh, person <laughs> disappears, goes back through the mist, and the bubble that they're in kind of resolidifies, goes back to blue. And they're standing around talking like, uh, <laughs> so anybody know how to take light pattern and a bunch of dust and make a language out of that? Because we're stumped. Saru's trying to reclaim some alpha energy
0: that uh, that was smashed out of him from Trina earlier and he's looking around the group like, whose idea was it to flash them back? <laughs> that was dumb as hell. Whose idea was it? <laughs> what, like we're two fucking Jeep Wranglers crossing, going in the opposite
1: direction? Give me a break. Dr. Harai shouts out the Kardashev scale here, which was very cool. I'm sure you recognize this without having to look it up the way I did. It's not exactly the same scale, but Ian m Banks novels use this as a... Uh, way of rating the power of a civilization. And the numbers don't line up perfectly, but it's totally based on this idea. Like a Dyson sphere is like an idea that arises from the Kardashev scale. Like if you could capture all of the energy that a a star is making, then that means you're like super duper powerful as a civilization. So that's what Dr. Rai says when he thinks that they might be a two or even higher on that scale. Burnham is like, this
0: may have been a mistake, just like sending back the same message, but to know for sure they're gonna need to involve more people, more perspectives to crack this code, maybe opinions by people we barely know. (laughs) Gotta call in the cavalry, the bridge crew. As soon as she started talking, I was like, cool, we're gonna involve Zora, who contains sphere data, billions of years old, containing knowledge gleaned from their entire galaxy, millions of cultures, probably billions of different languages. No, we're gonna bring in uh, four people from the bridge. All from the West Coast of the United States.
1: You know the West Coast is back for all you suckers. Well, suckers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is not as diverse a group as you think it is, Michael Burdum.
1: <laughs> I think it's kind of cool that suddenly Zora is like a main character in both the A and B storyline. The Culber working with Zora storyline is happening in parallel. You come to understand that Zora can like do a lot of shit at once. Sure, but it also
0: answers the question we had when we realized Zora was becoming self-aware, was that how do you function as a storytelling operation when a deus ex machina is a part of the crew? <laughs> and the answer to that question from this show is
1: we just ignore that. Specialist deus ex machina. Reporting for duty. Playing board games in six bay. We're gonna need Jet Reno to uh to fix this. And this is when Culber realizes that Reno is actually missing from the ship. And I was like, okay, like Tarka is all but caught at this point. Like once they realize Reno's not aboard, they will they will figure the math out. Tarka is not gonna get much further. And then I was like, oh man, like there's an entire other episode left. How are they gonna nab Tarka in this one? <laughs> and then have an entire episode after this what will it be about i can hardly wait ben (laughs) (laughs) you seem upset adam
0: (laughs) this episode upset me really this is like my favorite episode of the season oh boy buckle up (laughs) you know what i'm excited to bat that ball around with you at the end okay
1: Well, they figured out that the light pattern is a depth map, like the brighter the light is the z-axis, and that makes it a cloud of dots that actually line up with the dots in the molecule that got sent over. And this gives them sort of a a roadmap for seeing their way through, and they can start to figure out what this molecule says. A big breakthrough. Another breakthrough that I'm sure Ndoye does not feel like is sufficient to continue with this plan.
0: It's nonsensical. (laughs) <laughs> the script, parenthetical
1: to enjoy in the scene,
0: is disgruntly. <laughs>
1: yeah, just like, did you have to put that in parentheses on every single line I have? <laughs> it looks like it works. Like molecules line up. Yeah, the molecules are the message. Marshall McLuhan would have been so proud.
0: I heard what you're
2: saying. You you know nothing of my work.
1: I mean, it works
0: to the extent that things line up, but they still don't know exactly what it means. It's just a sign that understanding is possible at this point. Yeah, yeah. There is sense to be made out of it.
1: It feels like a spatial intelligence test that Burnham is, like, extremely good at. Like, one of those, like, rotating a 3D shape in space tests. Yeah. She fucking, yeah. She fucking crushes this.
0: The bridge crew stand around at the end of this scene thinking that they're going to get more to do in this episode but like Burnham flash beams them back to the bridge without asking (laughs) you're done here
1: yeah think about what you did (laughs) and that's your time So Zora has made an alphabet based on what they came up with. And Dr. Harai starts going through the message they received using this as an alphabet and pretty quickly comes up with the idea that this is a bunch of greater than statements. If it's mathematics, then what they need to do is send back a logic problem or some other mathematical statement to show that they're starting to get the picture of how you communicate In 10C. Detmer flashes
0: back into the scene and goes like, greater than is like when the alligator (laughs) is eating the larger of the two numbers.
1: (laughs) And then she flashes back out again. And everybody just is like, God, I wish you would stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) There
0: has to be a policy about the flash beaming, right? Like socially, it's got to be very impolite to just flash beam into a place that isn't expecting you like there's no privacy screen good enough for a boss who flash beams into your cubicle because you can't alt tab that fast you're just blown
2: what are you doing i don't
1: nothing you think frat boys like flash beam into a space tap each other in the nuts and then flash beam away (laughs) cop check (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, the
0: pranks you could do with flash beaming.
1: Really great. It's a very rascally future that (laughs) Discovery presupposes. I could swear I had a full beer in this (laughs) glass. Flash beam away. (laughs) So Dr. Hurai gets to work on coming up with some math that they can send back. And Saru is like, hey, uh, Michael, have you noticed how... Trina keeps just being like ice cold to me. Michael Burnham is like, yeah, like, you know how people like performatively act like they're not in a relationship when they're dating somebody at work? (laughs) That's what she's doing, Saru. She's logic signaling, showing everybody that she's not going to let her feelings for you get in the way of her presidenting.
0: You remember when uh, Riker asked Picard about some girl trouble he was having and how Picard was so just ready to help? In the middle of an extremely dangerous situation. So generous with his time and his emotions. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here you go, buddy. Let me fill up your cup (laughs) from my cup. We don't
1: have time for this! You need moments like this. The other moment that happens here is, uh, Reno explains to Book what Tarka's math problem said when she, uh, looked over his shoulder onto his computer. The thing that Tarka is going to do is going to collapse the DMA. What does this thing want? But it's gonna leave a bunch of Crap behind when it collapses, <laughs> and that stuff is still going to hit Navar on Earth. So, if you continue helping him, you are working at cross purposes with your stated goal. So, why don't you go ask him about it? And Book does. And this uh, results in a big argument between them, a two guys screaming over each other level argument.
0: I really liked this sequence going from the scene before into this as the argument's happening. I'm glad we didn't spool up the argument. We're in it, in the middle of it.
1: Book is really like winding up to stomp Tarka and (laughs) Tarka's explaining like, it's not that bad. Like the earth will have several months before it's destroyed. So they can either evacuate or try and science their way out of it. (laughs) Maybe is such a tough word to
0: hear from a scientist in a problem where billions of lives are on the line?
1: Like, maybe is the scariest word that he says. Book goes for him, but Tarka has some sort of personal shield that has the technology of the bumpers on a pinball table. It, like, really propels <laughs> Book back. Book, come on. Please, stop. You first. <laughs> He flies across into the view screen on his ship and we cut back down to the shuttle bay where we are sending math problems back and forth with the 10C now. And the 10C have replied to Dr. Harai's math problem with a set of new problems that all have the same answer. They chose an initial math problem
0: that equaled nine and then they get a bunch of equations that equal nine coming back at them. I would have been all up in my head about what nine could possibly mean when I sent it out. Like they decided to send the message four plus five equals nine. I could have spent two weeks figuring out like what two numbers best equal nine in the most non-threatening way possible.
1: You are the best natural code breaker I have ever seen. Maybe the 10 C are big George Harrison fans. (laughs) So this works. I actually, in this moment, wondered if Trek nerds everywhere were outraged that the answer to the math problems wasn't 47.
0: Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure Trek nerds were upset at this episode for a lot of reasons. Oh, shit. (laughs) They seem to be rewarded for this because uh, here
1: comes the peace egg. A lozenge comes out of the cloud and sets itself down on the deck in the shuttle bay, and it kind of like goobs out to... A wider shape. And then a door that looks like the doors on Discovery appears in the side. And inside is an atmosphere. Yeah. It seems very welcoming. It seems nice. It's got peace dust on the outside, atmosphere on the inside. This appears to be the 10C saying like, why don't you guys come on over and and hang out? Captain, I'm reading an open bar and buffet situation inside. (laughs) Now this is my kind of diplomatic... overture <laughs> dr fry's like out of my way <laughs> back on book's ship book is like almost kicking his own ass running at uh, tarka's personal shield over and over again shooting at it and stuff this is not getting through tarka's personal shield very very effective
0: tarka is very rubber and book is very glue in this scene
1: i was like thinking watching this could book Order his computer to pump knockout gas into the base. Oh, but everybody would be knocked out. So maybe like that would be like a really bad security feature, except for everybody being knocked out over here would be good just temporarily, right? Like if he could knock everyone out for the next six hours... He could potentially wake up in a world where the DMA was no, no longer a problem. Book has Miriam
0: weapons and technology solutions to this problem, but um, I don't know, also has psionics that he could use against someone who could not put up a shield against those. Why doesn't
1: he get inside those brains? They are so ill-defined. I have such a limited grasp of what his glowy forehead is capable of.
0: Getting frustrated... This show wants you to focus on the backstory to these characters that it very specifically needs you to, to the exclusion of everything else that would break the story it's trying to create. And this is one of those moments that's inconvenient.
1: Is it? I mean, like, we don't know what his his powers do. We've seen him grow a flower. We've seen him, like, calm down a transform. Have we seen him, like, flay someone? Hey, Jet. Maybe ask Book what he could do when they're locked up
0: together after this. That'd be good.
1: Let me see what I can do. (laughs) That's the book backstory you wanted in this episode? Yeah, the name is interesting at all, but like, it's not useful in a practical sense. A clearer definition of Book's powers would have been what Adam would have been satisfied with.
0: (laughs) It would have helped. Tarka's like, uh, look, Book, I hate doing this. I hate seeing you fly around your own ship really cucking the shit out of you in your own ship. It's embarrassing. But look, I'm feeling just as bad about this as you are. I know that's hard to believe because I've had two real friends in my life. One of whom used to be you. (laughs) And that guy who used to put his head on my chest to fall asleep. And you've never done that. So you're definitely number two friend compared to that guy.
1: I'm going to see that guy. I don't care how many billions I have to kill. I'm laser focused on this.
0: Back in the shuttle bay,
1: uh, they're just
0: standing in front of this egg door. And I'm thinking, they've got dots for this. But Rillick is like, no, I volunteer to go inside the egg. And also, I volunteer Saru and Michael Burnham. I thought for sure Rillick was going to go solo, because there's like a pregnancy to the pause after this, where I'm like, that's some brave shit, President Rillick. She's like walking forward, and you're like, wow, she's just going. (laughs) This is her leadership on full display. Poor Dr. Harai just gets... Uh, I hurt for him so bad here because this is his moment. He thinks he's going. Now he has to stay in the fucking car.
1: Yeah. Too bad for Dr. Haraya. You get called away on this special mission doing like one of the most interesting first contacts in the history of the Federation. And then you're like, hey, man, sorry. In case something happens, we need you to hold it down over here.
0: <laughs> Much is made over the danger and the very real possibility that none of them return from this. And zero is made about the succession plan if that were to take place. Like, is this in Doye's ship? It can't be.
1: And is not in the Federation. Yeah, I know. So it's gotta be Reese? Is it Nilsen? Reese or Nilsen would be in command, but I think Reese is the one that's left in the captain's chair, so.
0: Yeah, I mean when we cut to them later he is. But like they don't tell him because <laughs> he's back on the bridge when they make this decision. Also Zora isn't invited. They make that clear. <laughs> And then everyone looks at each other like, yeah, we all understand the reasons why. But I don't understand the reasons why.
1: Well, because the like server rack that Zora lives on is pretty cumbersome. <laughs> you know, they'd have to bring like a little mini generator. Zora might be great for this, but she's kind of going through a thing. <laughs> she actually cut her own bangs.
0: Yes. So <laughs> just so you know that.
1: The two captains, Burnham and Saru, have a little moment before they go where Burnham expresses that the wall feels closer now, like she is feeling super overwhelmed. And Saru shares the praxis of the primal yell. (laughs) I really like this scene. I thought I was going to hate it when Saru starts yelling. And then when Michael Burnham starts yelling and like, we're asked to believe for a second that she doesn't know how to yell. But somehow by the end of this yell, I was like, fuck yes, this rules. This <laughs> is a great moment.
0: I mean, we're given this Sinequa Martin Green scream that Discovery promises season after season. Yeah. But this is like a six. I know she can do better
1: because we've heard better. She's holding back in Saru's presence. I think she doesn't want to hurt Saru. I know that your yell is very loud and can shake the walls, but your yell ain't got shit on my yell.
0: Hey, I'm just going to say, if what you're about is like a sense of control that makes you feel comfort in the world, I don't think space exploration is a career for you. (laughs) (laughs) I was shocked by what Burnham told Saru here. This is what Starfleet
1: captains do. This is a journey into the unknown. She's not saying like, I can't do this. She's saying, I'm having feelings about doing this. I thought it was a really like sweet moment of friendship between the two of them also. Down in engineering, they find Jet Reno's badge. They've cracked the code. She doesn't appear to be on the ship. They also find the gadget that Targa left. This may be an emergency that you, like, bring to the captain's attention, but instead, they just page Jet Reno.
0: Has anyone thought about just asking for her on the PA system?
1: Can Jet Reno pick up the white courtesy telephone?
0: Back in the shuttle bay, Saru and Trina have their moment. To talk, Saru sees Trina to the extent that this were possible, emoting a kind of discomfort that Saru picks up on, and she confides in Saru that Saru's proximity to danger is what's bothering her. Yeah, she's not used to liking a person who may be about to
1: die. Inside a lozenge. <laughs> this actually goes to your theory of beaming etiquette, Adam, because as they are having this exchange- And Ensign beams over with catering. Like directly in front of him, like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Nobody's ever surprised by this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> past appetizers probably nice to have for a mission like this
1: so uh, she gives this to him in a spherical lunch pail and they go on to the lozenge which blinks out of existence you can see on Dr. Horai's face that he's pretty glad that they asked him to stay back <laughs> 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 he zaps ensign Catering to see if he could get another uh, <laughs> another plate. Is there any like mixed nuts or anything like that? What do we got? The replicators back online after last episode. Drop a bon mot here, <laughs> but instead he uh, he crams a snack in. So the away team walk onto an empty replica of the Discovery's bridge. I fucking knew it. It's a negilam, madam. Oh, that would have been great. (laughs) I want to watch Dr. Harai and a dot do it. Detmer appears in this replica bridge and she says, hey, just beamed over to the lozenge to observe. Hey, it's like a jar with a stick and a leaf in it. Anyways, bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This place is deserted in an event horizon parlance, a tomb. (laughs) Before a, uh, a copy of the Isolitic Weapon appears on the bridge, which feels kind of threatening yeah. without
1: context. There was a very distorting wide angle lens that they used in a, a few of the shots in this scene that really enhanced the like eeriness of this scene and I couldn't figure out the rhyme or reason of when they chose to use it because it seemed like in some shots everything was really smeared vertically and in other shots it they weren't but this is when they start to receive more complicated messages from the 10C and the first one is this isolytic weapon plus DMA equals what the fuck <laughs> so they have like a couple of words and what they want to send back is DMA plus us equals terror and They have to kind of work through how do you express what us is to the
0: 10C. Maybe we should use something that it would understand, like DMA equals
1: bunch of dead birds (laughs) and bunch of dead kids. (laughs) But how do you express dead birds, Adam? What's the mathematical term?
0: (laughs) Maybe we can like wet the powder up into a kind of sand that you can mush together into a sculpture <laughs>
1: What they figure out is sending the proportions of the different gases in breathable air as the as us because the ten clearly know how to make that and. That's a mathematical expression that they can use. And they hear back, hey, we're super sorry about that. That was not our intention. As this is going on, and Doyer goes through with it. She vents the warp plasma out of the nacelle, punching a hole in the bubble. And Tarka gets away with it. He gets out of the bubble and... Flies through the hole, and this causes the all the lights to flash in the replica bridge, and it seems like the Ten C are not psyched about this. And then suddenly, everybody's just back in the shuttle bay.
0: Yeah, especially after a moment of great success, that success gets kneecapped here,
1: out of their control. It seems like they're so close to like actually talking about the subject that they came there to talk about, and and Doye's disbelief in their ability to do that got her convinced that she should betray everyone as this emergency unfolds and they're realizing what's going on down in engineering and down in the shuttle bay they radio up to reese like uh yeah so jet reno definitely got abducted and book ship is here and he's like yeah we know (laughs) you you found out like two seconds too late (laughs) they now have
0: four hours until Earth gets quasioned. Yeah. That's the consequence here. And they've lost the ability to communicate with the Ten C. Things are looking pretty bleak.
1: The only thing we have to hang our hope hats on is that Jet Reno manages to finally punch a message through. And it's a little broken up, but uh, she says, basically, (laughs) you got to stop us.
0: Yeah. And saying it without saying it. Jet is like, you got to be willing to kill us. Yeah. Because that's how high the stakes are. And this is what triggers the Michael Bay shot to swirl around Michael Burnham into the end of the episode.
1: I think I know the answer to this, Adam, but did you like this episode?
0: Yeah, uh, that's not the only thing that swirls in my mind. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> I think you have figured out how to watch and enjoy this show in a way that I need to learn from because I just can't get past what this show chooses to prioritize in terms of its own factual information. Like These are episodes that give us minutes and minutes of pre-roll, catching us up on the information we need for the episode ahead, and then chooses to forget moments that would break the logic of the episode, like the disco not changing its own computer codes before Book left in his ship. That's easy stuff. That's Easy, logical breaks to catch.
1: I guess I didn't catch that as a break because they said you're going to hack the plasma thing. Like I think you can make a case for that there should be better computer security on this ship, but in every Star Trek series, there should be better computer security.
0: <laughs> Zora's self-awareness was the worst decision that this show has ever made and maybe the worst decision that Star Trek has ever made because everything that happens on the ship touches it and it's impossible to... To believe that Endoye could release the plasma without Zora knowing it. Zora's too busy playing board games in Six Bay with Culber? Give me a fucking break. They should never have let Zora become self-aware. Because it's just a constant preoccupation for someone like me who just can't get over it. Like, she should be involved in every facet of every decision happening on the ship. And to jangly keys that away by saying she's distracted by the numbing patch is just unbelievable.
1: Well, I don't want to, like, no, but every criticism you have because I feel like your experience is valid and it is real, but, like, I also feel like if Book and Tarka can wear an arm patch that obscures them to censors, like, what else does Zora have to to sense but her sensors. i don't know like i like those things don't bother me as much as they clearly bother you
0: i wish i liked the story and its details as much as i like the actors and their performances i think that's like the main disconnect i'm having is like i'm liking what i'm seeing but i'm not liking what they're doing
1: my main frustration with this episode was one i think we share which is that the jet reno is missing thing is not elevated to the level of there's an emergency a member of the crew has gone missing in the last six hours uh, and and isn't treated as like interesting it's like I don't even think Michael Burnham is aware of it at this point
0: it just doesn't seem possible
1: Or I guess she's made aware of it at the very last moment of the episode. Looking past that, what I loved about this episode was all the, like, gee whiz science stuff. Like, I thought that learning to communicate with the Tensi was so cool and interesting. And it has a lot thematically in common with Arrival, but Mm. I felt like I could understand it a lot better than Arrival. And it felt well set up and well justified in the story. And I thought that the ideas behind that are the kind of ideas that I wish more modern Star Trek had. I feel like that was like once every couple of weeks on TNG, you would encounter a sci-fi idea that really made you think about what the future might be like or how language works or how biology works or whatever. And I really loved that stuff in this episode. I thought it was so great and and so brilliantly designed from a writing standpoint. And I don't know how long in the season they've had that stuff figured out, like if they've been working toward it the entire time, but that's extremely clever writing. And that stuff carried me through this episode. I thought that that kicked so much ass that I am willing to forgive the minor story quibble I have with Jet Reno's disappearance going unnoticed for as long as it did
0: i agree with you that the figuring out of this problem is the best of what star trek does and the way that they tell that part of the story here is great i love that stuff
1: that was that was like where all my attention was in this episode
0: the arrival comparison was really apt that was a good note by you but i'll never understand how uninterested the show is in its own sense of conflict or drama I don't understand why it cuts away from things just starting to get exciting.
1: Those are cliffhanger moments, I feel like, that they're trying to go for. But if they're not working for you, they're not working for you. Season finale next. We'll see. We'll see if that works for you. But uh, let's see what's in the Priority One inbox in the meantime. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first P1 is from Hey, it's Zach Brager again. Again is to the proverbial anybody but also Ben and Adam. Goes like this. Whenever I see Star Trek do a martial arts slash sport, it is either made up or adapted poorly. I would love to see somebody in new Trek who is into armored combat sports like Bohurt slash HEMA slash ACL. Show me guys who get replicated medieval armor and beat each other senseless with axes, hammers and swords. Moreover, show me the alien equivalent of medieval combat.
0: More giant Q-tips. <laughs> More American gladiator-style combat. Uh
1: huh. Maybe the thing that has traditionally kneecapped Star Trek in these things is that they come up with an idea for a martial art, but then they get an old man like Kyle Riker to be <laughs> the foremost practitioner of it.
0: Yeah. The embodiment of combat sports is often pretty disappointing. <laughs> That's what made the wharf scene so cool in TNG, yeah. right? Like when we when he hit the hollow dojo, like it was fun. That's because he was like
1: virile and and exciting and Michael Dorn like really knew how to move his body. Yeah. And I, I don't know these like Bohurt slash is it HEMA or Hema? I've got to think it's Hema. Mm -hmm. I have no reason other than
0: it sounds like He-Man
1: Tin Man I guess I'm gonna have to do some some internet searching after this To find out just how nerdy Zack Brager really is Could you even open another tab if you could? Or are you at the end of your tab road? It's like there's so many tabs open that each one is one pixel thick. It's just like luck of the draw. Like you can't even click one accurately. You have no idea what you're going to get. I mean, that's probably what makes it so titillating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This window is using a lot of memory. (laughs) But so are these other 200 windows. (laughs) Ben, our second priority one message is from your frog print. It is to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this: Can't wait to see you in Seattle. Keeping my fingers crossed for a live Ben meltdown. What? I am a certified Ben meltdown Stan. Keep up the excellent work because, dang it, we need you.
2: God damn it! <laughs>
0: This message ends exit stage left with the Ben Meltdown drop. <laughs> Do we have a Ben Meltdown drop? I don't know. There should be one if there isn't.
1: <laughs> ben. Ben. I hope this is a windy edit. <laughs> Darwin was <it's> really cranky. <laughs> About that, about that bit.
0: <laughs> You're going to have to bring Darwin on the road. I guess so. Wow.
1: Well. I hope you booked us hotels that you can have a dog in.
0: What I need to have done is book hotels with very thick walls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, look, don't make Ben meltdown for lack of priority one messages. You've heard what can happen when he's just the least bit upset. You can write to us and have us read your message at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron.
1: We could do it.
0: Where every Priority One message goes a long way in supporting the production of our show. They sure do. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm
1: going to give it to Ndoye. I agree that the character has a pretty thankless job in this episode, but her her fixation on just not wanting to do what everybody else wants to do felt more about just like fuck all of you for doing not what I voted for than it you know she's like the Joe Manchin of this episode yikes (laughs) she's like what like come on ouch
0: (laughs) you know of all the things I said this episode that's probably the most hurtful (laughs) god that's hard to beat I was gonna make mine book just for being the ultimate dupe the dupe chickens came home to roost Mm mm-hmm On top of Book's head here. He blew it and now he's trapped in his own ship's brig. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Pretty tough. Boy, and David Ayala really rocking the wet eye once he's in the brig. (laughs) (laughs) He's really using his entire instrument in there. Yeah. Great work by him. And God, like when he gets winged around, does not look like a stunt person. Like we're in very close on him. Yeah. Getting chucked around. Good work by him. Pretty
1: brutal fight scene. Yeah, Good larkin' Adam Well I can't wait to find out about The next episode The final episode of season 4 Of Star Trek Discovery But uh, I'm going to find out about it At the same time as everybody else is By listening to the credits of this episode Or possibly Just waiting until we get the screener Because sometimes they come after the credits are recorded At the time of this record, we still don't have
2: a description or preview for the next episode, but we do have a title. The season four finale of Star Trek Discovery, episode 13, will be called Coming Home. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, produced by Wendy Pretty, and this episode was guest edited by me, Rob Adler. It's always a huge help if you can rate and review the show. A big thanks to Adam Ragusa who made our theme and interstitial music. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GreatestTrek, which, of course, is run by the car daddy, Bill Tilly. If you ever want to connect with other friends of DeSoto, be sure to drop by DrunkShimoda.com to check out the Discord, or swing by r slash GreatestGen on Reddit. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Greatest Discovery. are you ready to go
1: do some live shows, bud?